All right, it's good to have you in God's house today. We are glad that you're here with us to worship with us. And I want you to take your Bibles today to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I'm going to be preaching a message today entitled, You Can't Handle the Truth. You Can't Handle the Truth. And I want to share this message. just kind of came up with that idea. Uh, I want to share this message, some things on my heart as I come to this passage. We're continuing our series through the book of Mark. And just some things are becoming so clear to me as I'm really uh, diving into this book for my own life. I want you to stand with me now. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. 13 to 17. Follow along now as I read. Verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. You may be seated. After being in the book of Mark almost a year here, one of the things that's becoming clear to me is Mark's premise, why he even wrote the book. And as you study it and go over it, you begin to see this theme People only want to follow God and be one of his disciples if the road is comfortable. That's what I'm learning about studying Mark. What we really want is a comfortable road, and what Mark says is that's not a reality. And if I could summarize the book of Mark for you from my perspective and what God's been speaking in my heart is this, that the first aspect would be Demand nothing. Demand nothing of God. Don't demand he comes through for you. Don't demand he acts in a certain way. Don't demand that if he doesn't do this. Just don't demand anything with God. Demand nothing. I think that's what Mark's trying to say. Demand nothing. On the other side of that, he's saying surrender everything. Surrender everything. Demand nothing, surrender everything. I I think that is my summary of the book of Mark as I'm studying it because that's exactly what Jesus Christ does with his life. He demands nothing and he surrenders everything. And and there's such a beauty in that simple thought there because here he is going, it's Wednesday, just two days before his crucifixion and now they're going to pour it on. They're going to come at him and they're going to try to dominate Jesus. And they're going to try to destroy Jesus. And they're going to try to degrade Jesus. And they're going to try to intimidate him. And then they're going to try to isolate him from his followers. And then they're going to try to control him. And ultimately what they want to do is they want to put him on a cross and kill him. Demand nothing. Surrender everything. That's that's the story of Jesus. And the the amazing thing to me that I often, often think about in my own walk with God is why the Father himself 
does this to his beloved son. Why the father himself would take his own son and deliver him to wolves. There's not a person, not a parent in here that would want to take their son and deliver him to wolves. And that's what he does. He delivers them over to wolves so they could destroy him. It's, it's, an, amazing, it's an amazing thing. Let's just, let me just see if I can help you understand that a little bit. Let's talk about the eaglet for a minute. The mother sits on her eggs for weeks in the nest, protecting them with her life until they hatch. Then she goes out and she attacks prey to bring back food to them until they grow up. Now, the eagle then turns around and with the same beak that she fed them with and the same body that she warmed them with, she now takes them to a cliff and throws them off the edge. It's, it's not that the eagle has turned against her children. What she knows is, she knows they will never find their wings in safety. The eagle learns to fly by confronting its scary places. Where's your scary place? I think as I come to this passage of Scripture and understand everything I've learned from the book of Mark, I see this element of confronting our scary places and our willingness to do that. As I come to this passage of Scripture, I am amazed. Well, I just, let me just say I outlined it this way. Jesus alerts you to three critical issues every follower of Christ will one day face. Three critical issues every follower of Christ will one day face. I want to give those to you today because I feel very, uh, very strongly about them as I've read this passage. I meant to cover more verses, but the more I got into this, I just wanted to kind of capture what's going on here. First of all, the first critical issue you will face, just like Jesus, is the trap of hypocrisy. The trap of hypocrisy. That's a huge one. The Bible says, and I want you to see this now, that Jesus knew they were coming to get him through hypocrisy. Uh, the Bible says there in verse 15, right in the middle, but he, knowing their hypocrisy, he, he knew what they were doing. And, and you've got to learn that too, because there are going to be hypocrites in your life that come, you, come to you with different motives and so the Bible says that they sent, verse 13, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians. This is the Sanhedrin who sent these two groups of people to go out in order to trap him in a statement. They wanted to trap him. The Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the high priests, the Sanhedrin, all of them were bent on leading the entire nation together to reject and to execute Jesus Christ. That was their goal. Their whole goal was to get him executed. 
They have to do two things. They have to do two things in their goal. It's Wednesday. They've got two days. They've got two days to get Jesus crucified. One, they've got to turn the crowd against him because there's a lot of people that are for Jesus right now. So they've got to turn the crowd against him. The second thing they have to do is they have to get Rome to kill him because they didn't have the authority to kill him. Otherwise, he'd be dead by now. So those are the two things. So the question is, how do you do that? So the Sanhedrin got together, 71 of them. This is the overruling rulers of Israel. And they crafted a three-wave approach. Now you're getting the first wave here. This is the wave to trap him in his words. To trap him in his words. And I'll explain that in just a minute. And they don't have much time because the key day now is Wednesday. It's between two of the key days in the last week of Jesus Christ. Sunday, where they say, Hosanna, Hosanna! Come reign over us! And now they're on Wednesday, and they've got to figure out by Friday how to get the same crowd to cry out, Crucify him! Crucify him! These guys are good. These guys are really good. And so they're kind of stuck between this shift that they have to make between Hosanna and crucify him. And they got two days left. Now, what I want you to understand as I get into this, everything that Jesus has gone through has prepared him for this moment. And that's a good thing to know because don't despise anything you've gone through. Because everything you have gone through has prepared you for this moment. It's an important thing to keep in the back of your mind. Jesus knows what they're doing. They're hypocrites. Now, I want you to notice a few things that hypocrites will do in your life. Uh, and I'm going to give you three, three sub-points underneath this first point. first thing is they will make strange bedfellows. That's letter A there. Make strange bedfellows. Politics does this all the time. Let me go further. Religions do this all the time. Cults do this all the time. There is this strange bedfellows that get together. All kinds of deceiving religions will come together against the truth. Just mark that down. Keep that in the back of your head. That, that's going to get stronger and stronger, I believe, in the years ahead. That deceiving religions will come together against the truth. And the problem is the truth cannot make allowances for error. That's the problem we got, is we cannot make allowances for error. Or we cannot make alliances, I should say, with error. And so here comes the first wave. The Pharisees join with the Herodians, and that, that kind of shows you these strange bedfellows. They're putting two bedfellows together that are not on the same page. The Pharisees were the most religious. The, Her the Herodians were the least religious. The Herodians were Jews who sided with Herod, and in siding with Herod, Herod was not a Jew. So they would see that as betrayal. They would see that as selling their soul to a non-Jew. So the Pharisees were concerned for the law of God. The Herodians were concerned for the law of Rome. The Pharisees were devoted to Israel. The Herodians were devoted to Caesar. The Pharisees were religious leaders. The Herodians were political leaders. Essentially, so you understand the truth of the passage is, these two groups coming together, the the Pharisees hated the Herodians. They despised them because they sold their soul to Rome, to Caesar. And so you got them coming together here. Now, why do they come together? Because they're useful. They're useful to their goal. 
So they bring the Herodians along with them, even though they hated them. Now, why would they bring them along? Because what they're going to do is they're going to try to trap Jesus in a political view. And if we trap him in a political view, what's his political view on the tax, the Caesar tax? What's his political view? If we trap him on that, the Herodians will be right there. They'll go back to Herod. They'll go back to the Romans. They'll go to Rome, and Rome will hear of it. They'll send and they'll arrest Jesus, arrest him for sedition. And in those days, there's no such thing as free speech. You say one wrong thing, they cut down trees, they build crosses, and they nail you to them. That's what you do. You riot, you die. So they're looking for Jesus to say something against Rome so they can have him killed. That's their whole goal. That's their whole plan. That's why this, this passage is so key from Sunday to Friday when he is crucified. And so this is the first strategy of a hypocrite. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. This happens in politics. It happens in religions. It happens in all sorts of places where you'll join up with people you don't even like. But the truth, the truth cannot make alliances with error. All of us are susceptible to this. Just a quick one, two-minute story here where years ago, I was in my late 30s. I was a pastor here. And uh, I was invited to a secret meeting. And I was the youngest guy there. So I was honored that they would ask a young guy like me to come and be a part of this secret meeting. Now, whenever you get invited to a secret meeting, this is the first thing they'll say to you, okay? We just want to talk. We just want to talk. Just talking now, we're just talking. But the truth of it is, behind the talk is an effort to destroy someone in authority. So I'm sitting listening to this strategy and how they're going to oust this person in authority, and I still felt honored that I was there. I drove home, and the Spirit of God spoke to me. I hate to tell you what he said, but he said, would you like all your deacons to get together for a secret meeting on you? Well, no, Lord, but this is a battle for the truth. This is a battle for the truth. The Spirit of God said to me, don't you touch that. Don't have your hands in it, have nothing to do with it, you let me handle it. And I did, I took my hands off and I walked away from it. The younger you are, the more you'll get pulled into that. Okay, so that is that first letter A there. Letter B, the second thing they'll do, they'll use ploys of flattery. They will use ploys of flattery. Notice how they do that here in the text. They say, uh, they come to him to trap him in a statement. Verse 14, they came and said to him, Teacher, we know you are truthful. You defer to no one. You are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Okay? They're using the ploys of flattery here. Why? To trap him in his words. Okay? Get him to say, no, don't pay the tax. If they can just get him to say, no, don't pay that temple tax or don't pay that poll tax, they got him. And they don't think he'll say yes because if he says yes, all of his followers hate the tax. 
They hate the poll tax. They don't want to be given money to Caesar because he's an idolatrous God, and they don't want to be a part of that. And so they want to trap him in his words. You see that word trap there? It's interesting to point this out, but that word trap is only used one time in the book of Mark. And anytime Mark does a one-word thing, it's important. And not only that, it's only used one time in the Bible, the word trap. Uh, we hear it in English trap, but the word is a word to capture an animal in a violent way. To capture an animal in a violent way. And that's, that's what I want you to hear in that, a violent way. Uh, I was telling the first service that um, they use dogs to hunt for deer in South Carolina. And I, I thought in North Carolina it was totally illegal, but down at the east coast, eastern part of the coast, you, you can hunt deer with dogs. Now that's, if you know anything about that, that's a little more inhumane in terms of how they do it. It's an easy, easy prey, by the way, with hunting with dogs. So I won't describe that to you because I really don't want that in your mind as much. I just wanted you to hear that I was taken down to Chesterfield County and I witnessed the hunting of deer by dogs running. What they would do is they would hunt for tigers as prey. And so the way they would hunt for them, this is the word in the Greek, they would be in violent pursuit of them and they would put men with spears on one end of a field with dogs on leashes and then they would stir up and walk through the field and stir up the tiger. And then the tiger would run and at the other end of the field they had these traps in the ground, these pits, and in the bottom of the pits were spears that were coming out of the ground and they would hope that the tiger would fall in the pit and be impaled by the spear. And killed. That's how they hunted tigers back then. And so that's the word in the Greek. It's not just a word to catch him or just trap him. They, these Pharisees are in violent pursuit of Jesus with the intent to impale him. Yet they flatter. And that's how strong that word is. So the first thing you say is teacher, rabbi. They, they probably hated to even have to say that word. Truth teller. You're a truth teller. They don't believe that. They think he's a liar, and he must be stopped, and he must be killed. That's what they really think, but that's not the way they say it. Oh, Rabbi, you're, 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 you're so honest. You defer to no one. You speak, it, you speak it right out there. You just put the truth out there. They probably hated to have to say that, but the truth is they did have to say that because he does tell the truth. God loves it when we tell the truth. You see that word defer, you defer to no one? Let me just bring that one out. That comes from the Greek word orthos. We get our words orthopedic from it. Orthopedic, that'll help you. Orthopedic. Pedic is a Greek and Latin word as well. Pedic, pidon, child. So you go to a child doctor for orthos. What's orthos mean? Straight. You straighten out the bones at an orthopedic for a child. That's the word, orthopedic. All right, so that's the word used here. You defer to no one, Jesus. You're straight. You speak it straight. You don't care who you're talking to. You, you don't care what rank they are. You don't consider the consequences. You don't care, Jesus. You just put it right out there because it's the truth. Jesus, we like that about you. That's a lie. They don't like that about him. So, by the way, the truth is what got him crucified. Sometimes if you just don't tell the truth, you won't get crucified. 
That's all you have to do. Just don't tell the truth. But Jesus can't do that. He has to tell the truth. That's what got him killed. So they use this step of flattery. Flattery. They're just saying what they have to say to gain ground, all right? So they're setting him up, all right? Let her see there then. They falsely pursue the truth. Verse 14, they came and said to him, teacher, we know you're truthful. You don't defer to him. You teach the way of God. And then he gets to the question. Here's their question they're going to trap him with. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? And again, shall we pay or shall we not pay? It's it's just direct. It's straightforward. What they're saying is, we want a yes or no answer. This is very. uh, Listen, I'm hoping to help you with this ultimately. Yes or no? Yes or no? We want a yes or no answer. Don't give us a parable. You're always giving parables, Jesus. We don't want a parable. Uh, Don't speak in riddles, Jesus. We don't want a riddle. Don't answer a question with a question, Jesus. Just tell us yes or no. See, they got to get a yes or no out of him to be able to pull one of the groups away from him. All right? If they say no, don't pay, then all the people would be upset with him. Or excuse me, if they say if he says yes, pay, all the people would be upset with him. They don't think he'll say yes. They think he'll say no, don't pay. And that's why they got the Herodians right there to take him over and deliver him to Caesar. That's all they want. They just want him to say no. So tell us, Jesus, yes or no. You lose the crowd or you lose with Rome. This, this, is, this is brilliant, uh, perfect trap for them to try to destroy them, destroy him. So Jesus, should we pay taxes to an idolatrous Gentile like Caesar who invaded the Holy Land, brought us into subjection, and opposes God's people? That's, that's the real question there. I'm just putting it in longer terms so you understand their hearts. And by the way, just so you understand this in the background of this material, this caused so much problems in, in, in uh, the first century for the Jews because they hated this tax. They hated this tax going to an idolatrous king who was so arrogant and proud, they wanted to spit in his face if they could, but they couldn't. So the one way they got back is they didn't want to pay their taxes. <laughs> said, it's corrupt government. I'm not paying my taxes. It's corrupt. And so in 6 AD, they started revolt after revolt after revolt. Don't pay your tax. Don't pay your tax. Stayed all the way to Jesus' day. Then all the way to 66 AD. In 66 AD, Rome had had enough. And that's what started the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. It was around the poll tax. Just so you see the bigger picture here of why Jerusalem was ultimately destroyed by the Romans' perspective. You guys ain't going to pay your taxes? Let's see how that goes. And so... The Jews hated Roman taxation. This word poll tax is the word kensis in the Greek. It means a personal income tax. Once a year, you had to pay one full day's wages. That's what a denarius is. One full day's wages for your taxes for the year. So figure out whatever you make a day, and that's what you'd have to pay for your annual tax. Now, if you're any good at that, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. To pay one day's wages for a whole year's personal income tax. Okay? Motley Fool says that it takes you 45 days to pay the United States government tax in your personal income tax and state tax. It takes you 45 days of work to pay that tax. So I would take this deal any day. But in this case, they didn't even want to pay a day's wage. 
Now, the truth is, even Jesus thought this was giving money to an idolater. He, he, did, he did think that. If he says, yes, pay it, he'll lose popularity with the people. They believed he was the Messiah, and he was ultimately going to revolt against Rome and destroy Rome. So could he say yes? They didn't think he'd say yes. If he says no, the people would love him, but the Herodians would report him as an insurrectionist, and they would drag him away to prison, and then the people would even see he didn't overthrow Rome, and he would lose his popularity with the people. So he's their hope, and he says no. It's the perfect trap. We're going to impale this guy. Jesus says, I know, knowing their hypocrisy in verse 15, he says, why are you testing me? <laughs> I love this. He just kind of brings it out. Why are you trying to trick me? Why are you trying to trick me? Why are you trying to impale me in a trap with my words? Now listen to this. You aren't looking for answers. This isn't a pursuit of truth. There's no honesty here. You can't handle the truth. I want the truth. It's not a pursuit for truth. Let me just say this to you so you get this, okay? False religions are not looking for truth. False religions are not looking for truth. They're trying to come after you to trap you, to trap you for their own benefits. Can you, can you imagine this? I was just thinking this is a little aside, but I was thinking about this. How many people will cry out in hell? You deceived me, religion. You deceived me, Satan. And I bet you Satan will say something like this. You wanted to be lied to. You wanted to be lied to. Say, how do you know that's true? I don't, I don't know if that actual scenario is true, but, but I'm telling you, anybody who doesn't want the truth wants to be lied to. I was going to age myself. Remember that song? Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. Okay, so forget I said that one, okay? But uh, that's an old song. Tell me sweet little lies. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, when the Antichrist comes, he will come with deception. He will come with deception. And the people will receive him because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They wanted to be deceived. You know why they wanted to be deceived? Because they didn't love the truth. Tell me lies. Just tell me sweet little lies. I'd rather hear a lie than I would the truth. And God says, I will send a strong delusion that you will believe the Antichrist is the right way, the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't want to love the truth, then I'll get you to love a lie and I will put a, a delusion upon you where you'll believe the lie. And you'll think the lie's the truth. That's an amazing thing God does. Can you imagine that in the end times? People will come to church sometimes, and they'll hear me say something, they'll hear a preacher say something, say, I, I don't believe that. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. And I'm not going somewhere. And, and they'll say it's not the truth, and they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear it. And so maybe they'll... Stop going to church altogether. Maybe they won't go to church. Maybe they'll be sitting at home at church or be sitting at home, won't go to church, say, I don't, I don't need church. I don't need the truth. Someone come knocking on their door. Some cult. 
Hello? Hello? We came to tell you the truth. There is no hell. There is no hell? Come on in. When a person doesn't love the truth, they will love a lie. They will love a lie. That's what's going on with these Herodians and these Pharisees. They love not the truth. They had the truth right in front of them, and they didn't want it. Okay, that's number one, the hypocrisy. You think I get through this? Here we go. Number two, the truth embedded in principle. The truth embedded in principle. He says, bring me a denarius. Whose image and imprint is on this coin? Now, I'm going to show you a denarius on the screen right now so you can see it. On the left side, you're going to see the head of Tiberius Caesar. Now, listen to this. This is why the Jews hated hated these coins. They never dealt with the silver coin. They always dealt with their own Jewish copper coins because they couldn't stand the silver imprints on them. And he said, whose image is on it? The head of Tiberius Caesar. They said, Caesar. Now what it says in the Greek around the coin is this. Listen to this. The son of God of Augustus. The son of God of Augustus Caesar. That's what it says around his head. See why I hated it? You're going to call yourself the son of God? Can't stand you. On the back side is the mother of Tiberius, and it says around her in Greek, Pontifex Maximus. Translated, the high priest of the world. Just listen to that for a minute, okay? One side, the son of God. The other side, the high priest of the world. Is, Is it any wonder the Jews hated those coins? They couldn't stand them because they professed themselves as God. And by the way, that title Pontifex Maximus is the title used for the Pope today. But I'm not going there in this sermon. I just wanted you to hear that, okay? These coins were little idols. These coins were little idols. That's what they were. And Jesus must have seen this as blasphemy. And if he denounced Caesar and said, don't pay, Herodias The Herodians would go right to Caesar and have him arrested and crucified in no time for insurrection against Rome, not to pay your taxes. So verse 17, he gives his answer. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now this is is beautiful because he doesn't say yes or no. This is what I want you to hear. He doesn't say yes or no. Jesus is implicitly saying, though, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Pay your tax. Pay your tax. He said it without saying it. This is genius. He said it without saying it. Pay the tax without saying, pay your tax. Render to Caesar's what is his. Give him back the money. You owe it. It belongs to Caesar, and we are to do that. That's what Jesus was saying to the people. Well, what about us? Yes, pay your tax. Pay your tax. Why? Because the Bible teaches that Jesus paid his taxes. Jesus paid his taxes, which is an amazing thing, because in two days, the Roman government he paid his tax to was going to kill him and crucify him, and he still paid his tax. But the Bible says over and over, it's an ordained institution of God. Romans 13, 1 to 7, 1 Timothy 2, 1, 1 Peter 2, 13. God ordained civil authority, pay your tax. Civil law is for the well-being of man. 
The very fact that you could get here in an orderly fashion is you had a road to ride on. You drove on a road to get here that was paid for by your government. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, out of my taxes. Yes, it was, but that is the way it works. It was a civil ordained thing, and that's how you could get to this church today. If you have a legal dispute with your neighbor, you can use the court system to solve the dispute. In the old days, it was the shootout at the OK Corral. If that's how you want to handle your issues today, I know some of you might want to go that way, but let me tell you something. That's not the way government works today. You are to pay that tax so that you could have things like that resolved. The sewage that comes out of your house. Now, that sewage goes under the ground goes out into tunnels, out on the street, and is brought away from you to be purified. It's a great, it's a clever idea. Pay it. Pay the tax for your sewage to go down to the city and get it refined and brought back into the system again. It's an amazing thing. Absolutely amazing. You turn on your water. You turn off your water. You turn on your water. You turn off your water. Pay your tax. That's your city bill. Okay, that's, that's what the Bible is saying to us. You came to church and you were not shot in the process. The reason you're here is because we got a city police that is protecting this. By the way, this isn't a little tidbit. Do you know the response time to get to this church at any day of the week is one minute? That's because we're right next to Walmart. That's why it's one minute. But it's one minute, okay? Just want you to know that. That's good, that's good. One minute response time here. Because we have some cops that will be here on the scene. Pay your tax. Pay your tax. We have a military that protects this country. Because there's a lot of countries that would like to see us go under. Thank God. That's how they have the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. That's how we have the peace of the United States across this world as a superpower. Pay your tax. Jesus paid it, and he was crucified. You need to pay it. Now, let me just add this, okay? Don't pay more than you have to, okay? Don't pay more than you have to. Okay, I got a, I got a tax bill about two, three years ago. Some of you might remember this. They jacked up our property taxes on our property. And mine jacked up. They, they estimated my house is worth $50,000 more than originally I was paying up to property tax for that point. I said, there's no way. I started talking to people in the church. They said, well, mine went up 20, mine went up 30, mine went up 40, but nobody's went up 50. I said, this is highway robbery. I'm getting ripped off. So I got a meeting with, down at the tax office, the property tax office, and I went in there and I said, listen, I, I don't think you estimated my house. He said, well, that's right. That's a two-story brick. Uh, that's, that's the comp value on it. I said, well, well let's, let's slow, we'll slow down just a little bit. So we had a little conversation. I said, the, the, I'm the only house on the street that is a two-story. Everybody else on my dead-end street is a one-story. I said, so you don't really have any comps to compare my street with the people on my street. You took a comp from another neighborhood and did the comps, and you came back and put my value at that value, but my house isn't worth as much as those values where they all have two-story brick houses. He said, you got a point. I said, well, what can you do for me? He said, I'll drop it 30000 I felt like I won the lottery. 30000 It went down 30000 I said, this is great. This is great. Now, when I go to sell my house, I'm going to get it put back up. <laughs> don't be a dummy. Don't pay more than you have to, and don't take less than you can. But, but anyways, hey, I'm not trying to give you advice on that, okay? All right, but hear the biblical principle in this, okay? Pay your tax. 
Now, here's what I want to say to you, okay? Jesus, Jesus doesn't answer yes or no. This is what struck me the most. When dealing with the unsaved, he always answered with clear biblical principles. He never gave yes or no's. That, that, that struck me. I've been reading about this some, so I want to share some with you. When we get challenged in culture with LGBTQ issues and abortion issues, you, you know, you get pushed back by having to answer yes or no. Are you saying this? Yes or no? And they want yes or no answers. I'm saying we should answer in principle, like Jesus. Because the principle is sometimes stronger than the yes or no. The principle. This is good. This is good. Think about this. So are you saying a woman doesn't have the right to do what she wants with her own body? Yes or no? Yes or no? No, what I'm saying is every human life is immeasurably valuable and those who are strong need to protect the weak and you don't have the right to kill another person because it's in your body. Did you hear the principle? Don't harm innocent lives. That's the principle. That's the biblical principle. Don't harm the innocent. I've been thinking a lot about this. How do I build a bridge between people and the Christian truth? Frank Turek is probably my favorite apologist. He wrote a book, I, I Need More Faith to Be an Atheist. That was his original book. Then he wrote a book recently, Correct, Not Politically Correct. And he was dealing with the subject in this one chapter on speaking with the transgender. So the transgenders would approach him all the time after his speeches and say, so I'm wrong. I'm wrong to be a transgender. And here's what he would say to him. He didn't say yes or no. This is where you get in a trap, yes or no, okay? He said, I want you to live in the best possible way that you were designed by God to live. And I don't want you deceived by living these false lifestyles that hurt you and others. I thought that was good. Because what I would have said, yeah, it's a sin. Now, I may say it's a sin from the pulpit, but I'm not really thinking it through well if I do that with a transgender. I've got to engage them. How do, how do I really engage them in a way that we could have an honest conversation about this? What is the best way to answer their questions? How do I build a bridge between them and Christian truth? That's, that's always a struggle that we're going to have. Now, I understand sometimes people like the Pharisees don't want the truth. They want traps. And some just keep asking questions and they don't care about what the answers are to the questions. I've, I've learned this with people too. They, 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 they don't want any answers. They just want questions and questions and questions and questions. Now, what Frank Turek says this is this. When people don't care about answers, it means answers aren't the solution. That is brilliant. When people don't care about answers, it means answers aren't the solutions. What he says in his book on that is, it means there's a heart issue going on. It's a hardness. So anytime he wants to diffuse to find out if it's hardness in a person or they're legitimately asking questions, he says, I always ask them this question to reveal their heart. Listen to his question. If you became convinced Christianity was true and you knew it, would you truly worship and follow Christ? He said, if the answer is no, there's rebellion. They just want to keep asking their questions because they're not going to do anything you say. But if they answer yes, they would truly follow Christ if they knew and were convinced he was the way, the truth, and the life. He said if they say yes, then they truly want to know. Give them a good answer. I love that. I love that. 
Okay, there it is. The trap, the truth, and let me give you the takeaway, and I'm going to close. The takeaway, all right? The takeaway here is the takeaway of greatest importance. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. What he's saying is, you are all caught up in your taxes, He's really speaking to all the people, but he's speaking to these Pharisees specifically. You're caught up in this big question of taxes. Should you pay Caesar? Should you not pay Caesar? And he says, really, deep down, there's something more important than what you owe to Caesar. It's what you owe to God. It's what you owe to God. That's, that's what really matters. They were stuck on giving to Caesar, but disregarded giving God what he wanted. The big issue is not taxes, that's secondary to the passage, but to give God what you owe God. You got Caesar's kingdom, pay your taxes. You got God's kingdom, pay yourself. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? So what did they owe God? They owed them their own souls. They owed him what the Pharisees owed him. You owe them, you owe God what the Pharisees owed God. To love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, and with all your soul. That's what you owe God. That's what you owe God. The coin belongs to Caesar, but you belong to God. The coin had Caesar's image on it, but you bear the image of God. Give the coin to Caesar, but give your life to God. Give your life to God. That's, that's what he's saying. Pay back as God deserves. He has a universal claim on your life. Caesar's secondary. You'll have to pay your taxes, yes. But it's what you owe God, the creator of your soul. You owe him everything. The totality of human life is owed to him. What's their answer? Silence. They don't say a thing. You just got to feel the text. There's total silence over the room as he answers it. And the Bible says they just marveled at him. They didn't say nothing. Silence. It's almost thickening and deafening in the room when he says, render to God the things that are God's. In other words, what he's doing here is in the middle of silence, he's asking the Spirit of God to speak underneath the silence. Just like I'm asking the Spirit of God to speak underneath the silence now. I'm God's. I've been made in His image. What am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? That's, that's the real issue. They didn't want to answer. They didn't have an answer. But you have to be listeners for what's not being said. Does He own you? Does He own you? Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. It's it's not my job to convince you of anything. I'm so glad of that. (laughs) I'm so glad if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I don't need to convince you. I'm just the delivery boy. But it's the Spirit of God that does that. And He will tell you Jesus is 
your Savior. He will point you to Christ over and over and over again. And He will help you to recognize your need of forgiveness. And the degree that you understand your need of forgiveness is the degree that you understand the gospel. You are messed up. And left to yourself, you will not love the truth. And you will believe a lie. best I knew how. I tried to convince you of that, but it's the Spirit of God that has to convince you of your need of a Savior. That without Him, you'll spend a Christless eternity in hell. Crying out, why did you deceive me? Because you didn't love the truth. There's the truth. You need Jesus to save you from your sin. You need to own it. Say, God, I repent. I'm guilty. Save me. Save me, Lord. Save me. Pray that prayer right now. Jesus, my sin deserves judgment. There's nothing I can do to save myself. You died on a cross and you shed your blood as the payment of the sacrifice for my sin. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Save me. If you prayed that prayer right now and you've accepted Christ, I want to know. I want to know. Just tell me. Just tell me. Reach out to me or reach out to one of our leaders here and just say, I've received Christ. That's the first step. you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. It's confession. Just tell someone. Tell someone. Now, if you're here, you're a child of God. It's very simple what I was after today. Everything you've been through has brought you to this moment. Everything you have been through has brought you to this moment. And I don't know how, and I don't know how to explain it to you, but it is going somewhere in your life. It is going somewhere in your life. Demand nothing. Surrender everything. And it may be you needed to hear that today. For where your scary places are. Father, I pray you take this message now. I pray you speak to the hearts those that have listened and I pray you instill it into them through your spirit. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to lead us in a song. If there's a need for you today. God's speaking to you in a personal way about something right now you need to bring to this altar. The altar's certainly open. We want you to come today if, if that's your need. Let's sing together.